0: Welcome to the Empower Innovation Deep Dive Podcast. In this episode, we are having a conversation with Anna Mai, founder and CEO of Creative Link, a fintech consulting boutique, as well as a senior advisor for Truffle Capital, a VC focused on fintech based in Paris.
1: This podcast is part of the Mito Shino Payments Program, a collaboration between forward-thinking, innovative payments businesses. ThinkShareCare and Emerging Payments Association Asia. This episode is brought to you by PayPal.
0: Mito Shino's Payment is one of the largest female thought leadership communities in Asia Pacific, with a mission to empower innovation by rethinking diversity. I'm Camilla Bullo. I am Linda Staniewicz. Welcome, Anamai. Hello, Linda. Hello,
2: Camilla. Very good to be here today. And thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. And for our listeners that don't know you, it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional journey.
2: Yeah, thank you. So it's been more than 20 years, I think 22 years exactly. And I started at Citigroup. So I started to build a kind of a corporate career And then I gradually moved into more freelance advisory, uh, being an investor and advisor, and also just wearing different hats as it is today. And also my domain is very much in payments. Um, Then, of course, uh, I shifted towards FinTech, but still a lot of projects around payments, which is my domain and DNA. But I also discovered some interest in other technologies uh, related to payments, but not necessarily always related to payments as AI or blockchain. So now I have a broader perspective, I would say.
0: Wow, that is really impressive. And uh, you touched on all of the most emerging technologies that everyone is trying to learn more about and use in their business. So uh, we had a roundtable just a while back and um, discussing AI in payments, which you were a speaker at. And one of the biggest surprises that we had, Camille and I, was the very high accuracy that you had in your bots, uh, 94, 98% of your European conversational AI um, the use cases that you shared while many other fintech leaders at that round table raised the poor customer experience that they were having with their butts and not satisfying customers but rather unfortunately creating a poor brand experience. So everyone was really excited when we heard your numbers. (laughs) And obviously, how have you succeeded so well? Can you expand on what you and your team's approach has been?
2: Sure, Linda. So first of all, thank you for inviting me to your roundtable. I think it was very much interesting, especially that you are just bringing together the female leaders, as you mentioned, from different geographies and also from uh, different areas. So again, around payments for fintech, but coming from different functions. So I think this is, a, again, a broader perspective that can be shared and a diverse perspective. So I was really happy to hear some of the insights and opinions. And first of all, I think it might be related to geographies, so different geographies. But this is not the only reason and definitely the most important one. And as we mentioned during the the roundtable, now we we have the chance to elaborate or to, to expound this. So absolutely, it comes down to the customer experience, which is crucial if you introduce any type of new technology and any type of a new interface. And mm-hmm. if we talk about AI and conversation AI, this is exactly the conversational user interface that uh, we are touching, happen. So as a user and end user uh, customer, I expect this kind of a customer experience and customer journey to be seamless and uh, of the best quality so it has to be seamless otherwise the customer satisfaction is poor and the entire experience is poor so accuracy is one of the factors that really can distinguish the bad experience or poor experience from from the good one and talking about the level of accuracy i also said that this is a momentum now for conversation ai and also underlying ai technologies because we are just uh, reaching this kind of a this level of accuracy which is satisfactory is around uh, 95 percent and of course it can be different for different solutions and what uh, really decides here is first of all the knowledge base the quality of data so Mm -hmm. if we start from the data and quality of data so if we're trying to build a knowledge base either this is the trained or pre-trained knowledge base but it this is a very time consuming and needs a lot of um, a kind of a process time consuming and needs a lot of work from the organization side also some partners or vendors that might be involved and for many of the organizations or banks that I was involved in, in and cooperated with it even took like two years or more just to build or to establish a, a knowledge base and of course if we have the learning curve and then, you know, just the self-learning algorithm, so machine learning. So it means that this knowledge base can be enhanced, can be developed and of course can be improved. So with time, of course, it, uh, again, this is a matter of time, but of course, this is how we can enhance the, the learning curve. This experience can be better. So in terms of understanding of the natural language, if we're talking about the accuracy, this is a, exactly about NLP and NLU. So there's the, the family of NLP related or uh, natural language understanding related technologies. So this is exactly about the accuracy, how virtual assistant, I would rather say virtual assistant, how, how they can really serve this purpose and how they can understand understand the, the language we human beings uh, speak. And it's becoming better and better with all these uh, solutions available in the market, not only brought by big tech companies, because if you look at Google Duplex, Google Assistant, mm-hmm. or some other companies, of course, this accuracy level very much depends on the language as well. But uh, definitely, it's it's increasing. And then we have a lot of other players, like local players specializing in local languages or regional uh, families of languages, and also in some domains, because this is uh, very much context-based so you have to understand the context and the industry and domain area you are in. So it's it's different for banking or different for uh, retail or for health tech, which is very specific. So of course, there are different providers. And the more you understand the language and the more you understand the context and the intent, so that the domain, the better. So of course, the, the solution is better, but we need the time. We need the time. So of course, it might differ from organization to organization, but might differ from geography to geography. And maybe one final remark that I would make here is that sometimes we are very much in a way biased. So we have a poor experience based on some interactions with so-called dumb birds, So like very much limited scripted bots Mm -hmm. that we sometimes perceive as artificial intelligence, which is not artificial intelligence and they are not underlined by machine learning or NLP. They are like a simple automated bots that can uh, serve like uh, a catalog of questions and answers. And of course, they understand certain types of questions that they can serve like ready-made answers. So they don't lead a conversation as we are having right now Mm. as natural language or uh, of course, like, you know, just human beings between two of us. But definitely this is like more a a machine-based and without any machine learning um, component. So I would say if we shifting uh, this perspective towards, first of all, more qualitative aspect and also to this like smart bots. Uh, and I would rather say not bots, but uh, because these are these automated machines, but virtual assistants, which are uh, really powered or fueled by AI algorithm. And they, they really understand the way we speak and they na- understand the natural language and the context and then we can really have this kind of accuracy and this level of accuracy. But the most important thing is which is even more important here, is the experience that mm. is combined with this high level of accuracy, which is, of course, much more friendly for, for the end user.
1: Yes, that that is really noteworthy. And what you said about a lot of the bots being really simple, yes, catalog lookups, because that is not really utilizing what you've been explaining with AI and the full advantage of conversational experience, which is then very limited. So In your experience, have you had companies that started off with the simple bots and then moved on and and merged into more advanced ones? Or what would you recommend to a company that is looking to do this? Would they rather wait and get better data to give a richer experience uh, than to launch a bot with poor experience?
2: Yeah, so of course, sometime ago, like uh, seven or even more years ago, some of the companies they also, especially banks or financial services companies that I'm closer to, they started experimenting with, uh, we can say, um, simple or simpler bots, some of them and of course with automated processes because you have to automate processes anyways to to introduce these kind of uh, solutions and sometimes it worked because uh, people get used to this kind of interface but if the experience is poor, I wouldn't really say it's a good uh, idea to introduce a solution because then people can get frustrated, they can definitely just get this experience and perceive it as a negative one and they don't come back so they really perceive bots as this damn very limited or catalog based bots or simple bots like whatever you call them and this is not the experience we want to have so nowadays definitely this is not the idea to do that and I know some of the banks which introduce some of the simple bots are very much frustrating and uh, then of course they can only understand, they can just transact in a very simple way. They can only understand some of the information you want to convey and they can execute only a part of transactions, so like very simple. But this is not the idea of conversational AI. So nowadays, definitely, just the companies they are starting to, to partner with a lot of vendors, or they can play with different proofs of concepts, and still they are experimenting because bots can have different functions, not only information, but also um, they can sell services, they can also be our contact centers, so or in a way interact with the human agents. Or I wouldn't like to use. The, the expression that they will re- replace the human agents, but definitely they can also be be there and they can be in different channels. So absolutely, there's like an entire portfolio range of different bots. So of course you have to play out and pl- try to experiment with different solutions. But what is recommended just to, to start building a, a smart virtual assistant based on the knowledge base, based on the quality of data that, that you can have. And either there are some solutions like pre-trained knowledge bases available in the market. Yeah. So absolutely, this is the starting point and build and enhance this customer experience because it first of all it takes time but of course it really make users get used to, to this kind of a good experience especially like building on the future expectations and customer Satisfaction is one of the main points, and this is exactly why and objectives why organizations want to introduce bots not only to optimize processes to automate them, but also to to make this customer experience seamless and better. So it means that end users, for example, they don't have to wait; mm-hmm. they don't have to wait while connecting to the contact center or to call center because bots they can really or virtual assistant they can lead uh, multiple conversations simultaneously and also in different languages. So it means it's really cuts the waiting time. So absolutely, just to optimize the experience in a the way they not only you don't have to wait, so you don't waste your time, but also in terms of quality of the conversation. And I know that we still uh, have a lot to do, mm-hmm. not only as an industry, not only as banking and finance, uh, because bots are very, like, I would say, even proliferated today in the industry. And it, uh, I would say that banking or payments are in the avant-garde in terms of introducing bots or virtual uh, assistant. But still, there is a gap, and of course, in terms of leading the, the conversation. But this gap should be uh, closed very, very quickly. And last but not least, it's very important to underline the role of human being. Mm. Because, of course, we design the bots and we help them learn and uh, we train them so this is very important how we really design this process And at the end of the day, if there is any problem with the interaction, there is a human being to help there. So this is like working hand in hand, like machines and human beings, like human agents in the call centers or any other, even like you're just serving messengers. So this is very important to say that because there is still a human control or a human interaction or intervention when it's needed. So bots or virtual assistants, even if they have the form of avatar, Um, So they are not like living alone uh, as a kind of machine being, but they are really cooperating and working uh, very closely with human beings.
1: Mm, uh, I like that, the the collaboration in between the machine and the human. And and you always need to have a human to jump in and make sure the experience remains good. So, so if we move in a little bit into what you see as current innovation opportunities in the payments industry, and if you could mention some that you see there is an opportunity for innovation to happen, and also if you see any current inhibitors for innovation. Oh, yeah, of course, it's
2: a lot of happening in the payments industry as always. And I've been witnessing the, the transformation, I would say, for 20 years And always I keep repeating that the logic is the same just to make it digital, just to make it seamless, frictionless. But of course, the technology is changing. So I remember the times when it was based on SMS or WAP now, we, we, of course, have uh, iOS and Android for mobile and uh, different operating systems. We, we have also NFC, so contactless technologies for physical devices. So it has been changing, but the logic is still the same. So I would say just to, to make it seamless. And by that, that, I mean, so coming back to the customer experience, how important is the customer experience? and of course now we talk more about embedded payments or generally speaking embedded finance or banking so generally to to make it seamless from the customer perspective and also for other verticals or sectors to absorb payments mm-hmm. and to make this customer journey seamless so basically payments is usually at the end of the shopping experience or any other transaction that you that you make and very much nowadays it's related with other services so I would also say so. Customer experience is a key point, and this is still a challenge for for payments. But absolutely, a lot of innovation uh, in terms of making it digital, but also frictionless, is in this field. But then, in payments, we also see how much of importance is the question of data, and as a payment business, we produce a lot of data we also gather a lot of data, we should consume this data. And of course, there is a lot of analytics that uh, that can be done based on the payments transaction data. So I think this is another level mm-hmm. or another layer that has been discovered or realized. And there, there is a lot of innovation in this field, how to utilize, how to monetize payments data, how to integrate this data with other services. And then I think this brings me to, to payment related services as well. So we, we see a lot of developments in this field. So like Credit or any kind of uh, alternative financing or financing, generally speaking, but it's very much related to, to payments. Needless to say, there are also new forms of payments, and especially in the mobile digital area, also instant payments, cross border payments, open banking, and open banking, of course, brings a lot of. I would say change in terms of uh, instant stimulus payments, but also the, the source of payments. So definitely the account to account payments. And last but not least, because I don't think we we, we have time to cover all this because there are mm-hmm. a lot of developments. There are not even crypto payments, but in a broader perspective, digital payments, uh, of course it covers crypto payments and cryptocurrencies, stable currencies, stable coins, maybe even CBDC. So just the digital money, or uh, digital currencies, I I would say. This is absolutely on the horizon. And digital assets, so like new forms of assets that can be created and, of course, then can be settled with use of payments. So definitely we'll see a lot of change. And if I can mention one of the, I wouldn't say like uh, hurdles, but something that can prevent it. So, of course, very much all these innovations, they depend on always on how quickly, you
1: know,
2: like population and people can really adapt new technologies. But also it comes with kind of a digital inclusion. Uh, so education, of course, it's needed because this is not like we are talking uh, between us uh, so as payment people but of course this is like the tip of the iceberg and of course just the, the broader perspective should be revealed here and of course like people should be included just consumers and in the mass market so that's another layer and of course just the education is needed regulation though, probably there will be still like more of the regulation because we need more of the regulation but I, I usually look at regulation sometimes it follows some of the development sometimes it really anticipate some of the developments but mm. anyways it's needed and sometimes it can be also source for innovation as it happened for open banking for example PSD two in Europe but also consumer data right in Australia so I think it, it really brought a lot of innovation to the market in terms of connecting different sectors and also opening uh, banking sector and um, data sharing, uh, building data sharing ecosystem so, <laughs> uh, so it's also for good not only uh, for bad that re- regulation will stop any change or any transformation and innovation absolutely can also provoke some of the positive changes in the industry.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that very comprehensive answer. (laughs) I think it's uh, really interesting on where payments is changing across many different fronts and also can bring other industries into that as well in changing the future of how we will pay. So that leads us into this future of payment section that we We usually talk about, so to talk about the future of payment, we try to gather predictions from the thought leadership community regarding how payments would look like in the future. So we're talking like in 10, 20 years and just across a couple of key pillars like political, regulatory, economic, social technology and operations. So on that note, what are your predictions, Anna? What do you see? I know you've already spoken a bit about the near future, but looking further than that, what do you think it would look like in 10, 20 years from now?
2: Yeah, so thank you for this question, Linda. It's an interesting (laughs) time span of 10 or 20 years. I've been 20 years in payments. And of course, I said the logic is still the same, the technology is different, but I couldn't really predict the development of of technology, especially the acceleration of digital uh, services. So for me, just this, even 10 years, but definitely 20 years is something beyond my imagination. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's stick with the 10 years then.
2: imagination imagination can be really like very uh, rich and creative but very very difficult to predict but what I would definitely say is that we'll be shifting uh, just this is needless to say towards digital services digital payments but by that I also mean digital uh, cash or digital money so the equivalent of cash but in a digital word and if it will be blockchain based or it will be CBDCs uh, I can't say Maybe there will be a new disruptive technology, but definitely the, the characteristic of cash or digital equivalent of cash is needed. So maybe it will be related to digital ID. This is what, what we really need as well. So just a kind of a ID that you can present towards different services. And of course, you can use different services, not only pay, but you, then you, there is like your passport to the digital world, and KYC is embedded and everything. So you can definitely, it can be your passport. to to digital world. It also brings me to the metaverse or to metaverse because this is now uh, a kind of a future-oriented idea and we have to connect like VR, we have to connect uh, blockchain-based services, immersive experience, collaborative uh, ecosystem and environment. We are not there yet but definitely in 10 years or maybe five years we'll be there. So what will be the definition of metaverse or what will be the manifestation of metaverse I can't say but definitely the metaverse will be there so this kind of immersive experience just connecting different services also creating new kinds of digital assets new types of payments new types of merchants not only for gaming or for education or for art but uh,
0: other things for
2: retail or for health or for um, much more or many more services So I think this is very much related to digital identity, also the the aspect of uh, regulatory aspect, the aspect of regulations. So how we will present ourselves, what will be the digital ID, it will be, uh, we can talk about digital avatars, for example. So if we can have like different lives or different identities for different services, okay, for banking or for some Public services, we can have one, but then, of course, you can experiment and you can just explore more opportunities if you are in the entertainment or gaming environment, which is uh, already uh, possible. So I think it's, it's a kind of not only regulatory, but ethical, philosophical, social issue. But definitely payments will be there because you have to to buy these kind of things. You have to pay for them, even like digital yes. lives or digital artifacts or avatars or different uh, or new assets that I mentioned. So again, it brings me to the question of customer experience in payments and in financial services. What will be the interface? Today, we mentioned conversational interface, how we can interact, how we can talk to brands, uh, how in we can interact with that but with metaverse it will be even more immersive and what will be this kind of interface it will be haptic or it will be a kind of a combination of uh, voice and maybe touch and something else and this is like also a multi-sensory scenario so i i can't really bet on any of them but definitely it might be something exciting so I would say, yeah, uh, absolutely digital digital cash, um, metaverse on our horizon. But for me, it's it's a question of interface. So how we will be really just not only transacting or making payments, but how we'll be interacting with brands, with services in a way. And also with each other as human beings and people, what will be our representation or incarnation? Uh, so an avatar or a anything else and if avatars because some people really like the avatars to be almost the same or similar to them but some of them they want the avatars to be totally different they want to Experience something different. So, this is also something. Yeah, why not? Absolutely. This is a freedom, and then you can be really individual. So, again, this is a concept of personalization or hyper personalization or micro personalization. So, I think it will be really just so you can really be somebody different and you can personalize everything that you do, everything that you. Uh, experience also in the digital world and then uh, in terms of digital assets and your digital journey customer journey can be really personalized it started it started already but i think it will be kind of a like uh, hyper personalization yeah so it really just brought to the like ultimate uh, extent in a way so yeah and having said that i i, th- I think i will be more because this is very much future oriented or future futuristic but at the end of the day, we also need interoperability in payments. And this is exactly. something that I, I really, not pray, but I expect in the industry because with all these developments in payments, with different payments rails, payments methods, and new ones coming, and also with crypto words, crypto payments, stable coins, we need this kind of interoperability between fiat, between crypto, but also between global like digital wallets and local solutions. Mm-hmm. So now we only have a kind of a common standard for, of course, bank payments, bank transfers and card, credit cards. But then we have a lot of digital wallets, how they can be integrated. This is a question mark, but I I think this... This will be kind of a, on one hand, convergence, but uh, also consolidation in the payment industry and, of course, uh, in the market. Yeah, so altogether, uh, I'm looking forward (laughs) Uh, and hopefully I will be still uh, witnessing the transformation of payments in the coming uh, 10 or 20 years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then it will be
2: 40 and maybe after 40 I will have another
0: perspective it sounds like a really interesting world that you're painting where you can have different experiences and choose to look differently and and engage but but most of all interoperability is always needed across any world that we create so that's a really interesting key point so we had a,
1: a couple of quick questions as well that came in from our community in terms of how did it tie into innovation diversity and thought leadership that we'd like to ask you So the first one is, what is diversity to you and how is it relevant to your business?
2: So first of all, it's very relevant and it's very
1: important. And I think even before
2: I first heard the term diversity, I was like aiming at this, uh, so like a broader perspective. So just different voices that can be heard. So this is the, I think that the first concept of diversity that I heard in my mind. So absolutely, that it's very inclusive and you can share your perspective. And of course there are different individual perspectives and opinions and voices. But diversity goes beyond that. And needless to say, again, there is a gender diversity and I studied cultural anthropology. So for me, the the word was always diversified and diverse because there are different cultures, there are different patterns, there are different beliefs, uh, there are different values in the word. Of course, sometimes it comes uh, in a package, uh, I mean, with bias and stereotypes, that's very often because this is, I think, like a two edged sword that uh, you see this diversity, but then you have the stereotypes mm. uh, about uh, people, culture, background and so on. So coming back to diversity, for me, it was always very much connected to the culture background, to different nationalities that are represented, different cultural backgrounds, even minorities, cultural minorities. And of course, there is a, like different characteristics of diversity, different features, different capabilities, different skills that you can bring to the table. And at the end of that, I think this is representation of diversity that you bring different perspectives. And of course, you have different people standing behind these different perspectives with different ages. And of course, I mean, just they, they are at different age and gender and uh, skills and uh, even their they life journey is different and their life experience is different. They might have different values. So so this is this very much broad uh, definition of diversity, and it's very relevant because again, just making this kind of a comparison with a cultural, cultural anthropology. So it's like a melting pot. So and um, there is an intersection of also for for the industry if we see the intersection of different verticals or sectors like previously telecoms with banks or, or now retail health tech one well, it's again now it converges but also uh, how it can be melted together or as we men- mentioned the open banking but also open finance open data ecosystem so just absorbing different verticals and sectors so it brings me to to this metaphor or comparison of melt- pot so we can create something new out of it. And I think this is a very good, uh, again, definition and source for innovation. So that's why I'm, I'm uh, for me, diversity is very much of importance or relevance in the industry because it definitely creates a lot of innovation or it gives uh, room
0: for innovation. Mm. You get that different point of views in a melting pot. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. And then the next one we were going to ask you is, what does a creative and innovative work environment look like for you? How do you create that for your own team when you're working?
2: Yeah, again, it's it's important. So thank you for this question, Linda. And so it's open. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's, this is the, the most important characteristic. It's open. And I'm also lecturing open innovation at um, Asian Institute of Digital Transformation. So I talk a lot about open innovation. So collaboration models and building partnerships. And of course, this is the a position to closed innovation when you are looking inside of your organization and you are not looking out of the walls of your organization. So for me, open, it means that you build a lot of partnerships and it's, it's this kind, kind of a curious mindset in the organization that brings a lot of different sources of uh, innovation and creativity. This is about partnering and this is about establishing collaboration models And absolutely, it really means that the organization is, uh, so it needs a a kind of innovation culture, which is very, very difficult to, to achieve. Because again, it comes down to people's mindset and uh, how they just really respond to change, if they are adaptive or not. I think this is around a lot of adaptiveness that is needed. And we, we talk a lot about technology and very often we talk about technology because we talk about innovation, we talk about changing, fast changing world a of payments as well. So technology is very much important, but then the organizational culture is a challenge and uh, people's mindset is a challenge and we shouldn't uh, really ignore it as we know from our organizations. And also we talk about technology, uh, like skills gap, and we, we really need a lot of people in AI. We really need a lot of people and new talent to be hired for blockchain, for example. And we, we have this uh, skills gap.
0: Yes,
1: that's
2: proven. And also, if I if I look back, but also nowadays, and I I can just have a kind of a reflection, it's very difficult to train or to learn a kind of a mindset, but definitely just, we need more of a certain set of soft skills, I would say, or personality features and skills in any industry, because now it's, uh, as I said, very fast-changing. So you need to be adaptive, but also you need to be collaborative. Creative ecosystem and innovation ecosystem, this is something that comes with collaboration. So you have to have this collaborative attitude. You have to be responsive to to change, adaptive in a way, and also to, uh, as an organization, as an individual as well, to be uh, ready to fail in a way. And uh, again, this is very difficult to achieve in an organization, especially not in startups, because they, they fail very often. <laughs> that
0: happens all the time.
2: <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, not as companies only, but sometimes they have this like a failure track record but they experiment a lot they experiment a lot and they iterate for big corporations organization is more difficult but of course it should be also permissioned and this organizational culture should be around experimenting and trying out new things and also in terms of budget and people resources and time this component of failure should be really added or even embedded. So just to try to experiment and learn. So,
0: yeah. So if I'm and from hearing what you're saying, it's really about when you're that big organization, when you have a lot of processes in place already, and you might have that fear of failure as a legacy, and you're trying to change that to become more innovative. It's really important to have that support from the top, That you are changing that, that you are allowing staff to leap outside their area to explore and maybe fail and maybe spend a little bit of money doing so to come in richer with more experience. So that's a really interesting point of view. And I think there's a lot of challenge for a lot of big organizations on how to shift into that kind of mode that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Linda. And thank you for your kind of summary because you put it uh, really well. And absolutely, we need these sponsors in the organization to make uh, things happen. So from top down, but also bottom up in order to create this organi- uh, innovation culture and to, to share some of the ideas and generate ideas. So I think this is like to two-sided uh, process from... T- top down, but also from bottom, from bottom up, and again about diversity and inclusion. So, just how employee can create this kind of internal innovation and how they can generate ideas, how they can be also included and heard as people uh, in the organization, and of course as talent that is really followable nowadays and very, very difficult to not only to attract but to retain, especially in big corporations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is a great segue into our last question that we had in relation to key elements of great innovation leadership. So so how do you lead? If you are the leader trying to lead innovation, what are some key elements that you should have? Yeah,
2: I think uh, this can be a kind of a recap of what was said before, because again, this is about collaborative mindset and open mindset and being responsive to to, to change uh, in a positive way, of course. Yeah, I I would say it's about open and curious mindset, but definitely about a collaborative attitude, which is very much needed.
0: And I guess then also on what you're saying, also support that outside-in perspective to allow staff and team members to go out and explore and not just be in in the office all the time, sort of to get that outside-in perspective. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you so much, (laughs) Anna-Mae. That was amazing. That was was all of the questions that we had.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: So we have just heard Anna-Mae, founder and CEO of Creative Link, a fintech consulting boutique as well as a senior advisor for truffle capital a vc focused on fintech based in paris she has amazingly shared
1: her insight knowledge and experience in innovative solution and conversational
0: ai and all of her experience leading innovation across Europe and the world. Thank you so much uh, for joining our podcast. That was very, very generous of you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. The pleasure was mine. So thank you for having me. <laughs> thank
0: you. For more insights from Meet Hoshino's Payments communities, please visit our website or follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn and tune in to our next podcast. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Thank you and goodbye.